Welcome to Season 3 of The Lifestyle Chase, and I'm your host, Chris Little. This podcast features high performers who have found a way to live their best life while balancing their health, wellness, friends, and family. To help this podcast grow, please share it on social media, rate five stars, tell your friends, and check out the past 140 episodes and counting. You can follow me on Instagram at Christian Little and at The Lifestyle Chase. Thanks for listening. Let's get started. All right, so welcome to The Lifestyle Chase. I have brought back a popular guest, the one and only Kyle Dobbs. And in addition to that, I'm not even going to have you do like the crazy repetitive intro of who you are, because in the last like year, I think I've given you like 30 shout outs on the show. (laughs) So people have a strong idea of who you are. You first appeared on the show episode 51 on June 3rd, 2019. One of the most listened to episodes. So it's cool because it contrasts um, like just how far things have come, how much has changed. It's uh, some eye-opening perspective for just like how like internet connections, like just personal interpersonal connections can really develop. Because I know like I I can vouch for the fact that uh, my my knowledge of you and our growing connection and, and your mentorship of me um was a game changer this past year in 2020 like it uh i would say it pretty much saved my my training career so with that being said uh i'm privileged to have you back on the show excited to have a conversation how are you doing today i'm i'm fantastic christian and i I really appreciate you having me coming on and uh, those words really do mean a lot that's the absolute best feedback I could ever get from, from one of the coaches we work with. And, and Matt and I were definitely really excited to have you in the group and, and running AMRAP. And um, yeah, I'd, I'd appreciate all the shouts. I appreciate all the, all the kind words. And I'm definitely glad that you, you took that much away from it, you know, that it helped you that much because that's, that's really our intention is, is helping coaches build their careers. And obviously we, we started the group pre COVID, you know, at, at normal times. And, um, it's it's definitely changed in emphasis, you know, over the course of the last year, just because of the circumstances we've been under, and we've definitely had a lot of coaches who've been transitioning from an in-person space and a personal training space into more of the the remote world, and that's not an easy transition for a lot of coaches because they miss that kind of emotional connection and, and some of those relationships that they might have had with their clients. So navigating that and you know you know talking about coaching and talking about biomechanics and talking about those things and programming whatever like like that's all pretty simple stuff but being able to to navigate the the aspects of building relationships with people that you're not physically seeing i I think is a huge just kind of miss that a lot of coaches might be getting right now as they're trying to kind of build out that part of their career add that revenue stream to their business and you know so that's something we're super proud of. We've had a lot of good feedback from it. And I, I appreciate yours as well. That that means a ton coming from you. So thank you. Well, you're welcome. Um, something that's come up quite often, and it's with reference to like 2020, is like that feeling of un- discomfort. I was going to say uncomfortability. And I'm like, I don't think that's a word. Move on. Discomfort. <laughs> and um, So it's just... I even heard it in in our last episode together, just like you kind of have to uh, be outside of your comfort zone to experience any growth. Um, And like 
2020, like some people, it looks like they were crushing it and maybe they were completely just out of their element. Um, what was like when I say the phrase out of your element, does that ring a bell for you at all? Or did you kind of feel like you were like, this is just um, same scenario as a previous situation in your career, just different context. Like, like speak more on that, uh, expand on it for me, if you would. Yeah. And I mean, one, if you're not making up words and fitness, you're not doing it right. So that's exactly. just keep on rolling with that. Like that, that's your word and you can use it. Um, uh, you know, to, to your larger question, you know, I, I think, um, yeah, it was definitely, it was a transition. It was a stressor, you know, and I, but again, I think as with everything else, you know, biological or, or chemical, you know, stress builds adaptation and adaptations cannot be built without the presence of a novel stimulus, right? So growth requires getting, uh, getting, you know, discomfortable, right? <laughs> I'm going to use it now. I'm going to, that's like the inverse of yours. So I'm going to use it. Uh, it requires being uncomfortable, you know, and I think that's something that over the course of my career and, and a lot of it does have to do probably with my age and the years I've been in the industry, but I've, I've learned to kind of embrace that, you know, that, that being uncomfortable and being out of my element, because if you kind of take a step back and you look at things from the, the thousand foot view, you will see there, there's pattern recognition, you know, you will see models and any time that you're looking at a, a situation like this, there's probably something that you can relate it to within a different context. Just as, just as you just said, right. Whether we're talking about being uncomfortable in training and us perceiving that as a good thing, because we know it's going to lead to the, uh, the quote unquote gains or, you know, Again, learning new material that's difficult to learn, right? To increase our intelligence and our knowledge base on, on a certain subject or just, you know, getting uncomfortable in a relationship to dig deeper with an individual, right? And, and to build a, a, a better bond, right? That's something even like Sebastian Junger talks about in like the book Tribes, right? So I, I think in, in any scenario and, and within any environment, you know, discomfort, obviously not to the extreme extremes, but discomfort is not a bad thing. It's probably something that we need to actually embrace and start looking at the opportunities they could provide rather than the, maybe the detrimental emotional effects that we get acutely from it, you know? And I, that's something that, you know, we talk about a lot. We talk about it a lot with training. We talk about it a lot with business development. Um, we even talk a lot about that with the, the personal development side, right? Like, you know, you've been through the program, week one, we're doing strengths needs analysis, right? And, and I think that's for a lot of people, the the most uncomfortable part of the program is they're coming in ready to talk about like how a femur works and how the, how the, you, how much IR you're going to get in bid propulsion or something like that. And we're talking about strengths and weaknesses or perceived limitations. And that's not something they were necessarily expecting, but it's something they desperately need. Right. And, that's something that the feedback that we get is, you know, people just sit and stare at that document for, you know, like 30 to 45 minutes before they type something uh, just because they're, they're kind of struck with the magnitude of kind of what those words represent and, and being authentic within that process. And um, that's something that, again, I think is super important. It's something I struggle with as well. And, you know, whether it's, I'm, I'm probably better at listing out my limitations than I am my strengths as, as most people are, right. It's, it's usually ironically the strengths that we have the hardest time talking about with people. Um, 
lest we want to be perceived as, you know, narcissistic or egocentric or whatever. So I, I think that's one of those things where if you can sit down and be really honest with yourself and, and get uncomfortable in that process, you're going to grow from it because you're going to learn how to leverage your strengths and leverage those opportunities better. And then also to fill in the gaps and mitigate some of those perceived limitations, or you're going to be able to analyze those perceived limitations and realize that they might not even matter given the context of what you're doing, right? I'm a terrible typer. It doesn't matter with what I do, right? There are a lot of things that I'm not good at that don't actually affect me on a daily basis or affect my work on a daily basis at all. So me getting hung up on those things is a complete waste of time with no return on, you know, emotional investment, right? Or, or financial investment or whatever from that perspective. So I, I think as we kind of look at, God, I got to, I got to reel this back into your actual question, but I, I think if we actually look at this as, you know, kind of the, the circumstance we've all been in stepping into that, that kind of alternate reality of being in the online space and, and being a remote coach, I think it just, if anything, it's going to sharpen our actual communication skills. And I think that's what people really need to learn. Like, cause the programming's the same. Right. If I run an assessment on somebody and I write out their program, it doesn't matter if I'm training them in person or if I'm training them from another country. The program's a program because I'm principle based, right? It's going to look very much the same. So when I start looking at communication, well, it's easy to have conversations with people in person, but can you maintain and build a rapport and a relationship online, right? Like that's tougher. That's way harder for people typically. So for me, or at least it was for me, right? So for me, that's been something I've really embraced, you know, and even looking at like Matt and I in our business, I've met Matt twice in person. He was working for me prior to me ever meeting him in person because we'd already built a really good relationship and a really, really high level of trust through communicating with each other through, you know, Zoom and, and all these other, you know, kind of uh, platforms that, that have now propped up. And, you know, so I, I think that's something that's invaluable. And, and I think once we, we do go back to normal gym settings, knock on wood, I think that's only going to strengthen coaches' ability to communicate in person with their clients as well and also continue that to out of session when appropriate, you know, so I do think we can use these skills and, um, within both contexts, you know, so strengthening them in the more stressful context will in turn, most likely strengthen them even more in the easier context with less right perceived limitations from an environmental perspective. Yeah. I mean, I'm totally on the same page with all that stuff. Like when you talk about communication, being able to like, uh, work well with a person whether it be in like the structure of your business or the structure of your training like how much you get from training um that's something that i've really um thrived in in the sense that like most of my newer clients this past year i worked with them virtually or through instagram before uh before i even met them in person like some i haven't even met in person yet and it was just that for that to be something that I already kind of had a handle on, then I got to kind of develop it even more within the constructs of like, how do you program your stuff? Like, how can you communicate your programming in a more clear way? And what I really liked about the AMRAP, well, the AMRAP program and the, the mentorship was just um, how it was kind of based on the inputs of the user, not so much of the, the coach, like in the sense that like, 
you're working with weight and and you're going to decide what that is and you're going to have like the the context to understand if you are progressing or not and you're going to be able to have the the context that you need to understand like um like so many times running the amara program for me as an individual uh i would like hit a wall and i'd be able to decide right away like what the issue was whether it be how efficiently i was actually managing my stress or like how how my nutrition actually was like there's so many times mm -hmm. when i've like called myself out on my own shit <laughs> like i've mm -hmm. been like well um when i trained really well i was getting a lot more sleep and when i started hitting a wall i had less sleep because i was overthinking something and so it was just like eye-opening for me to realize how effective that was just with how my brain works and then again in turn it was the same effectiveness for for a lot of my clients just using that style instead of delegating um, certain instructions and kind of leaving them sort of wondering if, if they were broken or if, if they were doing mm -hmm. it right or if they were getting out what they could get out. So in in all constructs, it was very helpful to have that different style and that uh, communication refinement in the sense that like communicating not only in the interpersonal build a rapport with people way, but also mm -hmm. communicating in the how are you translating your thoughts on strength to the client the end user kind of thing and uh yeah because like for me going into this whole industry like one of my one of my strengths has been just like i've done so many different jobs that i've been able <clears> to <throat> communicate with people whereas some people it's their knowledge of exercise physiology they're they're uh they used to be a high performing um very competitive athlete kind of thing I, I have like an athletic background, but definitely wasn't like the, the best player on the team in any context kind of thing. But to, to dial us back in, I want to talk about your educational journey and just how you've continued to develop yourself. How has that gone? Um, what, what has the journey been like there in the last year or so? Yeah, I mean, I... <sighs> Education is funny to me, right? Because education is, especially in the, because a lot of it is, is built on choice, right? And because of that, it's also built a lot on uh, selection and confirmation bias, right? Is we're, we're typically going to pursue a lot of the education that we already find interesting or, or we already believe, right? Because we want to validate our beliefs, you know, as human beings, right? Um, that, that's kind of one of our basic needs. And my my biggest thing for the last uh, year to maybe even two years is, you know, I've had kind of two goals. And, and one of those is to actively challenge my own beliefs, right? And see if they hold up to critical feedback and, and just more critical thinking from my perspective. And, and whether that's, you know, actual training principles or some of the systems that I've studied in the past, um, actively challenging those things has opened my eyes to a lot of flaws in a lot of those systems and a lot of things that I just was not right about, you know, or I was maybe overconfident in the magnitude of the, the rightness quote unquote of those things and, or the context of the application of those things. And, you know, so that that's kind of been step number one for me. And, and number two is kind of, again, looking at using all of these systems as tools to kind of build my own model out, out of those things rather than relying on a systemic variation of a model. And, 
and finding ways to kind of create a conglomerate of all of the things that I've learned over the last, you know, almost 15 years in the industry, whether it be again, just, you know, biomechanics or respiration strategies or programming strategies or, or whatever, um, creating kind of the best possible model for the people that I actually work with. Because again, when you look at any kind of training model, uh, and this is something we talk about in the group mentorship, so it's not a, it's not new news for you, but you know, the number one factor of any training model should be the people that you're actually training, right? Whether that's breaking that down individually to like people, people, or whether it's looking at a demographic that you tend to be working with more so, right? So if you're in a post rehabilitative context and you're working on bridge programs to get people back to like a level of health, that's going to be different than if you're working with like gin pop copy con, you know, uh, clients who are mainly looking for, you know, weight loss and strength gain and, and more of a health style benefit. And that's going to be different than if you're working in an athletic performance environment where you're helping athletes really try to optimize and maximize their abilities respective to their sport or task, you know? So if the model's not built around a demographic, it's not contextually appropriate to anybody. Right. And that's where, you know, we always talk about like that, that George Box quote is he's a, you know, a, one of the best mathematicians in, in history, right? And, and But his famous quote is, you know, all models are wrong, but some are useful. And the the utility of a model comes in the context it's being applied, right? And everything is is right within some environments and everything is wrong, you know, within other environments. And all we're trying to find is a contextual match to the application of the model that we're building. And for me, that meant, you know, from a lot of the education that I've studied through the years and a lot of the things that I might enjoy myself, uh, I might have to kind of throw it out the window because it's not very useful with the people that I'm actually working with. And, you know, that's something I found early in my career. I wasn't really conscious of what I was doing. I was just trying to to make sure I could help people in the most appropriate way, right? I wasn't breaking it down to these schematics, but but now as I, as I kind of analyze these things a little further and start looking at the choices I've made throughout my career, I can kind of look at that that decision making process that I was going through and understand how I was trying to weave the lines of saying like, hey, like if I want to be successful in this industry. I have to validate my training to my clients first and foremost. My peers aren't paying me. My boss isn't even paying me. I have to make sure that my clients are happy with the things that I'm doing and the training interventions that I'm doing validate both their their needs from an assessments perspective, but also their wants from a goal perspective, because there is an, an emotional attachment to training for many people. Like people don't make decisions rationally. Right. Like most decision making, when we start looking at just the general population is a very emotionally based you know, decision. And to, to say that we, we have to take emotion out of training and we have to be really systemic and, and really tactical and, and really strategic from that perspective and analytical takes the human component out of training. Because at the end of the day, if, if a client doesn't like what they're doing, training is is a luxury, right? They'll go train with somebody else or they won't train at all. And now you're not helping anybody, right? So I think for me is I build that model. You know, we talk about uh, the training model and a service model, right? So looking at, you know, not only the interventions we're going to be prescribing people, you know, in, in a categorical perspective, but also the environment that we want to create during the actual training process. How do we want our clients to feel and perceive 
us as coaches and the training environment that we're creating for them, whether that's the physical environment or the actual programming itself and what we're trying to elicit from an adaptation perspective. That's awesome. I mean, like it, it kind of aligns with my, my most recent episode where Lucy Hendricks hosted the show and she got me thinking and I talked about like how you kind of have to let go of the teddy bear that is that uh, method of training that you hold so dearly, like whether it be the financial investment that went into the development or just how much it it uh, how much better it made you feel to learn a certain concept. Like if it doesn't mean anything to your client, then it doesn't mean anything to you in that moment. Like it's just you kind of have to find the thing where the client actually feels the most engaged and where they where it actually genuinely impacts their life the most. And for some people, like a certain exercise just might be completely irrelevant to them. Even if you can see the relevance, if it doesn't mean anything to the client and a different method that actually has a similar outcome does, then you have to, to hop into that other thing. But uh, to kind of keep us rolling and, and give you back um, the microphone, essentially, um, I thought of this term and I call it the 2020 effect just because I've asked so many people what 2020 did for them or like what, what, how it changed them. And everybody is like, well, I mean, I stayed in my house more, spent more time with family. Um, it just is, it's fairly self-explanatory. But with that being said, like there's something that the year did to each one of us in a very different way that changed us that might be irreversible. And after I've done all that uh, banter, like what what are your thoughts on that like has there been anything that you would say has changed you because of that this past year that has uh, come and gone yeah i mean it's it's yes and no you know i'm i'm somebody who one is very introverted and i i tend to like stay away from people anyway you know for the most part unless i'm i'm forced to by my extroverted wife. Um, you know, so I don't, I don't do like a lot of social stuff anyway. Even when I go to the gym, I, I don't talk to a lot of people. It, we always joke at like the gym I'm at now, like it, it took me like a full year to actually have conversations with half the people there. Um, you know, so it's, that's just kind of who I am as a person. I've always been that way. I just, I've, I've got a lot of social anxiety and I'm not comfortable in a lot of those environments. So I, I kind of stay to myself anyway. Um, and then two, you know, as, as somebody who's also a husband and a father and takes those jobs, uh, extremely seriously, probably even, even more serious, not probably more serious than, you know, my day job is a coach and, and, you know, running some of the education stuff we do. Um, I, I actually, you know, got to see my family more, right. My kids were home for a, a huge block of that. So I got to see them all day, every day for a long period of time. My wife was working remotely. She was, you know, we were, um, you know, uh, just lucky enough that she got to do that as well. My job's always been remote, but she got to, you know, switch out of the office for hers and work remote. And I got to see her every day and eat lunch with her and, you know, walk the dog and, you know, spend those, those extra, you know, 10, 20, 30 minute blocks throughout the day where we both had openings. And, you know, from a, a pure relationship perspective, I think it didn't do anything outside of just strengthening, uh, kind of our core family dynamic. And, you know, so that, that was really, positive, you know, for us, you know, on, on the flip side of that, 
Um, not so much with myself, but I, I also saw like my kids struggle a lot with not being able to go to school and see their friends and, and be socialized in that manner and, and be able to play, you know, whether it's playing sports or just meeting up at the playground or, or going on play dates and just hanging out with their friends. That That's a huge, a huge miss. I think a lot of people who, you know, maybe aren't parents don't really think about like school is, is obviously education based, but my kids are nine and, and seven, right? So it's it's just as much a socialization and learning those skills on how to, you know, react and communicate and uh, interact, you know, within different groups of people and with different types of people and people from different backgrounds. And they didn't get that. Like you can't replicate that on a, a Zoom call with a bunch of seven-year-olds. Like that, I mean, that props to all the teachers first off, because I witnessed a lot of those firsthand. I was like, that's, that's patience to the extreme. Right. So um, being able to do that and now being able to go back to school, like I see a complete 180, you know, in my kids, as far as like just their overall happiness, you know, and a lot, it's not because the curriculum has changed. It's not because they don't like being at home. It's because they need that constant social interaction as children. And I think that's a huge, huge thing that was just missed for almost an entire year. And I am interested to see if it does have longer lasting effects, you know, with the kids who've been, you know, in in these grades, you know, elementary to middle school to high school, and then to see what maybe that did. Um, For me, from a business perspective, um, we've always been remote, you know, ever since I started this business, we've been hundred percent online. So it didn't affect us directly, but it affected the people we worked with very directly. So we were indirectly affected. Right. And, um, it, it led to different conversations with a lot of people, you know, it was, it was no longer about like client acquisition and kind of running your brick and mortar building. It was about client retention and giving better service and giving people uh, something to hold on to while they were kind of stuck at home, you know, throughout this process. So it, it definitely stretched us as far as like our abilities and our ability to help people as well. So that's kind of where like for us, the the discomfort might've come from as far as just saying like, Hey, like our traditional playbook isn't working right now, right? The same way that a trainer working with a, a client in a gym uh, you don't have the equipment, you don't have the environment, you don't have a lot of the things. So you have to improvise and you have to be able to be very uh, creative and out of the box with a lot of your thinking and and be, you know, more so proactive than reactive to the situation and kind of anticipate some of the obstacles that your clients are going to have, uh, whether it's lack of equipment or lack of time or lack of space. And, you know, for us looking at our the business owners and the coaches that we work with, it was very much the same thing where it was, you know, we had to anticipate a lot of the problems they were going to be having from a business perspective, whether it was staffing, whether it was you know paying their expenses, retaining clients, retaining members. Um, there's just a lot of new stuff, you know, and it, it was it was very exciting. It was fun. Um, it was also very humbling, you know, in a lot of ways, because I, I worked with two or three people that lost their businesses, you know, throughout this process and lost a, a big chunk of their life savings because they poured everything into it. And, and I think, you know, whenever you, you see that firsthand, especially from people who are extremely well-intentioned, uh, it, it just, it really, it's, it's very saddening, you know, and I, it's really humbling and, and really kind of, again, gives perspective, you know, firsthand on, on, you know, the, the, detrimental effects and the, and the negative impact that this has really had on like small businesses, especially, you know, so um, like that, that was hard. And those were hard conversations, you know, so 
you, you never want to lose a client because they literally lost their business and all of their income and owe the bank a lot of money. Right. And there's nothing that, you know, you can do from my perspective, you know, is uh, uh, at that point, you know, so it's, it's, there's a lot of ups and downs, you know, emotionally from that perspective too. You know, I obviously didn't feel the same way they did, but I still felt it, you know? And, and I think that's seeing friends go through that and people that you respect go through that is, is very disheartening um, and, and very humbling. And, and like I said, it just gives a huge uh, new perspective on what's, what this, um, the, the epidemic and, and the other circumstances have kind of brought to us. Yeah, I mean, that completely makes sense. And there there's a lot of like key points that you uh, showcased in, in the entire answer that you gave me there. Like, I mean, I think about 2020 effect is not only like something that is meant to be reflected on like in, in like, uh, like an earth shattering way, but also in like uh, in a shaping way, like in the sense that uh, a lot of kids who went through that experience. Like, I mean, I have nieces that are, are similar age to your boys and just in seeing like their whole like uh, their journey through it all and they became so much more self-aware. And I imagine a lot of kids became pretty self-aware as to what, what mm-hmm. are their actual needs? Like, what, what do they need to fill their bucket? And uh, what makes them feel happier? What, what makes them feel uh, more upset? And um, how do they overcome struggles? And you get to learn that at a young age and get instead of getting tossed into the fire at like age 18, age 19 kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So a unique, a unique dynamic to that sense. But then also with like, I mean, I it's so tough to hear about people losing their business completely. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like I, I like to be maybe too optimistic in the sense that like someone who can handle losing everything is probably going to have a pretty good comeback story in some sense. Like it might take a lot of patience and it might take a lot of uh, personal growth and uh, grit and resilience. But in a lot of mm-hmm. cases, the lessons that you learn having to, um, having to just stay strong despite all of the the obstacles that are dealt your way like you learn things that nothing else will ever teach you like mm-hmm. um there there are lessons to be taken from that that will help you in the future and that is all part of the 2020 effect like i mean like this past year <laughs> like it rattled me more than any other year that i've ever encountered and the amount of failure that I encountered and it's just failure is a gift. It's like, here you go. This is, this is your next stepping stone. This is how you're going to step it up a notch for next time. Like the amount of uh, negative feedback that can be received in a constructive way and how it can refine how you go into the world. So hopefully people understand, like if they're sitting in the shit right now, it's going to be, if you take it in the right way. And if you like write down the lessons that you're learning, like you can definitely use that to bolster yourself and uh, hit the ground running. It's just a matter of time and it's going to take a lot of patience and it's, you're going to have to be aware of what you need in your life, whether that be family, whether that be the development, whether that be uh, being able to be active. Like I really, really realized how much being active was a game changer for my life. Like having access to gym equipment um was huge so um with all of that being said i want to talk about strength training because you're very disciplined in the sense that like you're up early in the morning getting after it um you have like sort of like some 
structure to your life in the sense that like nothing's going to take you away from your long ass walks i mean for anybody still listening you are the originator of the long ass walks i speak to them often and i hope people yes. know that it doesn't it's not from me i'm just like carrying on the legacy of the long ass walks so what what's your what brings you back to strength training even when you really don't want to yeah, I mean, uh, training has been a, just an anchor of mine for so long, you know, and, and again, like I've, at this point in my life, I've been strength training longer than I haven't, you know, as a, as a 38 year old that, you know, I started with as a college athlete when I was 18. Right. So I've been, I've been training pretty hard at, at a pretty high level for 20 years. Right. And and I think, you know, as I've gone through that process, you know, my, my goals have changed, you know, a lot, you know, back and forth and, and so forth throughout those years. But the, the commitment and the, just the anchoring that it gives me never has, right. When, you know, when, when I'm not confident in other arenas of my life, whether that's personal or professional or whatever, I can always come back to training. And, and that's probably the environment where I'm always going to be the most at home and the most comfortable in a lot of ways, right? Out, outside of just it, it, like that family dynamic. And it, it has been something for me that, you know, even, even if I don't feel like getting up or I don't feel like training, like I just kind of always do, you know, I don't really think about it that much. I'm kind of on autopilot in the morning. I train at 5 a.m. So the alarm goes off at 4 and, and I, I don't think I'm fully conscious probably until I'm in the car most mornings anyway. And, and you know, so it's at, at that point, you know, I, I, I've always trained early. I, I grew up, you know, uh, in the Midwest and I was doing work, you know, before school, you know, for a lot of my life or work early in the summers. And then as a college athlete, we trained in the morning before classes, you know, and then we had practices after classes, you know, so I've always just kind of carried that on. I'm an early riser. I mean, I go to bed at eight 30, so it, it evens out, right. I'm not, I can't, I'm worthless after like 6 PM to do anything, you know? So it's definitely something that, you know, for me, I, I get up and I get it out of the way and it just kind of starts my day on the right foot. And when I don't get it in, like it impacts my day. Like I feel it just from an overall mood perspective, definitely from an energy perspective as well. You know, so it is something that typically sets the tone for me, uh, just from a physical and even cognitive or emotional perspective. So yeah, like that, that's big for me. It also gives me the opportunity to get it out of the way before typically the rest of my family's awake. Like I'll get home and the kids are getting ready for school and I can sit down and eat breakfast with them. I can drink a cup of coffee with my wife and we can kind of talk about what, what we're doing during our days and kind of what we have planned. And, you know, for us, that's a, that's a very important touch point. Even if it's only, you know, five minutes, some mornings we'll, we'll sit down and have the phone somewhere else and, you know, drink a cup of coffee and actually have a conversation to kind of plan out the day. And then we kind of recalibrate and have another one of those after our work days, you know, kind of as before we're making dinner. Um, but it gives us a chance to sit down as a family. And that's a big deal for us. You know, I think it's a big deal for the kids. Again, it kind of centers them a little bit uh, prior to going to school. So, um, the, the training for me, isn't so much the training, but it's probably just the act of getting up and doing something that I, that I kind of brings that anchoring system to my day and to my week. And, uh, the walks are, you know, something that I incorporated a lot when I, when I moved back to the Midwest, because you, I don't think you realize how much you just 
walk and accumulate steps and movement when you're living in, you know, Manhattan, like I did for 12 years. Um, you know, I was just, I was missing that, you know, when I moved here and I had a lot of free time cause I was building my business and I wasn't busy yet, you know, so I would just go for long walks like during the afternoon or in the morning before I started my day. And, and again, like for me, like I typically do my best thinking, you know, when I'm walking, you know, that's kind of when I can, again, kind of go on autopilot and enjoy just kind of being present within that moment and kind of think about things and uh, let thoughts come to me, you know, rather than specifically always thinking about, you know, things. And um, that's just been another big ritual, you know, within my life. And, and sometimes it's one long, you know, one long walk. And sometimes it's a few maws, right? Some, some moderate walks and uh, whether I'm walking the dog or doing whatever, but that allows me to also kind of sneak in just a, a lot of extra movement because I'm somebody that, um, man, if I don't move enough, like everybody knows it, like we go on vacation. I'm not one of the, those people that has to like work out at a super high intensity, you know, capacity when I go on vacation, but I'll always get up and, and, you know, take a long walk or take a run or, or jog or whatever during, you know, before everybody else is up. And, um, usually when we're in like a different city, it's actually a good opportunity to like explore a little bit and kind of see the city before all the people are there, which is how I prefer it, uh, as an introvert too. So, um, you'll, you'll see me, uh, you know, if I visit somewhere, just walking around with a, a coffee at like 6am on empty streets. Um, but th those two things for me are just, um, ways to get physical activity in um, and physical activity is kind of, again, something that regulates me in a lot of other different ways, whether it be autonomic or cognitive or emotional or, you know, the, the intersection of all those things. Um, I, I kind of just get it out of the way as quickly as possible. Um, and it, it's not really been to a point now where it's like motivational in any way. I just, it's so habitual that and ritualistic that, uh, the alarm goes up and I just kind of sit up and start moving and, and go through about, you know, go through my day. And, um, and again, a lot of that just has to do with a ton of time, uh, and training and a, and a lot of, you know, just patterning over the years probably. Yeah. And I mean, that makes sense. And, uh, just with the whole like creating structure and routine, you kind of get used to that structure and you just kind of fall into the groove and it obviously takes some time to create that. But you did, and then because you did, it uh, it was kind of second nature. But let's talk about like the dark place that you have to go into to put in like ninety percent effort or ninety five percent effort on like a like some kind of probably cardio based, maybe strength, maybe it's like your your heaviest uh, trap bar deadlift or something. Like, what do you have to do to make your to will yourself to do the stuff that sucks the most when it comes to your uh, fitness and stuff? Yeah. I mean, I, I think you have to, uh, and, and for me, it's, it's never the lifting, like some of those AMRAP sets are hard, but it, you know, I, I, I ran track, you know, through, through college and ran the 400 and it sucks just about as bad as anything ever will to do all out, you know, 400 meters. And, and, and then I also did, uh, about four years of like pretty high level competitive rowing, uh, in my late twenties, early thirties as well. And, um, the aerobic stuff is always the stuff that like that hits the hardest for me. And, um, whenever that comes about and, and still comes about, you know, I, I hit that a couple weeks ago. Um, you just have to kind of embrace the fear, you know, it's like, cause there's definitely a fear aspect to anything that's going to be like lactic threshold. Uh, like I've, I've done rowing, you know, workouts or like my wife's found me like laying in the garage like slobbering all over myself after i puked you know it's just like it's not fun 
it will completely knock you out for the rest of the, of the day, sometimes days. And, you know, it's not something I always enjoy. It's just, it's, I'm not, I'm not that probably, uh, you know, of a terrible person to myself. I don't hate myself that much, but it's, it's definitely something that I think, you know, looking at the big picture, it, it does give perspective to everything else you're doing, you know, and I, I, I'm definitely one of those people who I'm all about, you know, uh, like, you know, uh, stimulation over annihilation and, and things of that nature from a training perspective. I don't think you should be given like RPE 10 every single day. I don't think you should be driving yourself into the ground from an intensity or volume perspective and just digging a huge ditch that you can't you know recover from, from that perspective. But I do think every now and then you, you have to go to that dark place to know that you can. And the less frequent that you go to that place, the less able you probably are motivated you are too, right? And if we're looking for real adaptation and, and again, you know, not just from a physical perspective, but also just from a self-efficacy perspective, going to that place and, and coming back gives you a lot of confidence in a lot of the other workouts, right? We talk about this a lot with that AMRAP program and even in the program that I'm, I'm running now with people, the, the meat rocket, like there's some AMRAPs in phase one of that too. And, they're not because AMRAPs, you know, will just layer muscle on your body, right? Like it's like one AMRAP's not going to do much for you from a physical perspective. But you know as well as anybody, it will do a ton for you from a confidence perspective heading into that next session and just from an achievement perspective. And we watch people all the time that, you know, again, they'll take like that 80% 1RM for like 20 reps, and they're done and they're just like, holy shit, I did not think I could do that, right? And then the next week and they're at 82.5%, that's no longer a scary load for them at all, right? They go in that fully confident. They're excited about it because they've just achieved something you know, monumental for them from a training perspective the week prior. And, and I think we do those more so to help people build realistic confidence in their own abilities rather than from a training, you know, physiological or training adaptation perspective like it, it's definitely more psychological from that perspective and, and again that's why like every day is not an amrap day every set's not an amrap set you might have one to two per week um but it's more so for the the confidence that it brings people going into that next week so it's a huge dopaminergic driver uh you're obviously going to have a huge sense of achievement coming out of it and that's the same thing if you're rowing a 2K time trial or you're trying to PR your mile or 800 or 400 from a running perspective, or you're trying to hit that two mile, you know, sub 430, you know, assault bike drill that you love so much, right? Uh, you're always chasing those numbers. You know, the numbers in your head. Uh, and, and the closer you get and able to tick more boxes off on that and, and keep notching those things down the more satisfied you're going to be with your training and probably the more adherent you're going to be to your training going through it. And also like you knew, uh, like, especially like on those assault bike days, like I think you got your sleep the night before because you knew it was coming. Yeah. Right. So, <laughs> so we can, we can also look at like utilizing those high output days as tools for behavior change from a recovery and, and lifestyle perspective. Like no one's like staying up late drinking, before an AMRAP day or a time trial on the assault bike, because they know, and you know, we do a lot of stuff in groups and they don't want to have to bag it in front of the group too. And be like, Hey, I was too hungover to go out and, and 
do my thing today. I was like, I'm going to have to just call it, call it a day or go, go kind of half ass. And like, nobody wants to do that in front of the group too. So we can kind of use that social, uh, that social pressure as a positive reinforcement for some of these behavioral changes as well. So there is, there, it's definitely multi-dynamic. It's definitely multifactorial. Um, but, but yeah, I think the, the dark place, like it's, we, we've got, you know, socio-environmental, you know, factors that are going into it. We've got personal and emotional factors that are going into it. And there's definitely just kind of this need uh, we have as people who want to create change in ourselves to, to really see how far our physiology can take us in a lot of these cases and to improve on the week prior or the month prior, whatever it might be based on your programming scheme. Definitely. I mean, like I probably lean a lot on like, cause I, I'm a dude with a lot of emotion. So sometimes I harness that for, for going to my dark place when I'm training and stuff. But like, I like how you talk about how it kind of like hones us in for um, those holistic purposes in the sense that like, nobody is going to beat themselves up on purpose outside of their training because of what training means to them, whether it be like the accountability of having like like-minded people or whether it be having that uh, invested interest in being at your best because of how it felt to go through that AMRAP day. Like in the AMRAP mm-hmm. program, Fridays felt like a million bucks because it's all right. Like it doesn't matter what we do. This is going to be feel awesome kind of thing just because of how it's structured. Um, but yeah, it it all makes sense. And I kind of want to quickly segue to one more topic that, uh, was on my mind as we were going into this episode and with the, with reference to creating leaders, you're someone that I have watched create leaders around you, but I think the word that you liked to use best was, uh, facilitating leadership kind of thing. Um, so what is your why for that? What, what how would you describe it like i know i have a feeling that i know why you would do it because we have similar personalities so i know why i would do it but like i just want to hear it in your words like with the whole topic of facilitating leaders like what 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 inspires you to do that what what calls you to do that yeah i mean that as i got into management you know oh gosh almost 10 years ago within my career um that was kind of a big impetus of that is, you know, the, the facility that I was working within wasn't doing well. I was the highest performing coach, you know, at, the, at that facility. And, and, you know, my, I, I remembered, you know, I, I wasn't a good leader, you know, at first I, I went to my manager and basically looked at her and said like, Hey, like these trainers suck. Like I'm kind of embarrassed by what I'm seeing like on a daily basis. And, but, but I, I also, you know, was coming to her with problems and not solutions, right? Where I, I never talked to them. I would literally walk around and just not talk to people and just talk to my clients, train my clients, had a few friends on staff, but we had so much turnover and so many people that I just viewed as being so unprofessional that I didn't even communicate with them because I didn't want to waste my time uh, getting to know somebody who might not be there, you know, in a month, right? From that perspective. So, um, she looked me, you know, bold face in the eye, shout out Anita Golden. She's fantastic. She works for Lifetime now. And, and she said, Hey, how about you do something about it? You know, what can you do to help these coaches? And, and I started a, you know, uh, a, an education meeting every week where we, you know, we talked about training and we talked, I did a lot of Q and A's with, you know, just the trainers there and trying to help them kind of 
game plan case studies, you know, through their clients. And then we had organized case studies that I would run and we would look at people's programming and, and talk about it, not me being, you know, critical in a critiquing way, but just talking about the whys of what they were programming and getting them to critically think about that process and actually have a filtering process for exercise selection and, and application for their clients. And, you know, we, we started with, I think I had one trainer in the first meeting. Um, and, you know, six months later, we were in New York. So there were 20 plus locations of this, you know, this organization there. Um, I had 250 coaches from multiple locations around us coming to this meeting and I had to move it into the group fitness room and get a mic and all that jazz. Um, and, and that was something that I, I saw the power of that very early on and, and helping trainers become better coaches, right. For their clients. And that was really impactful to me because it, like making an impact is something that I'm, I'm pretty passionate about. Like I, I love working with people individually, but if I can help coaches who all have, you know, 10 to 20 trainers, you know, clients under, you know, that they're working with, if I can make an impact on all of that, I can grow that exponentially from that perspective. And, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not altruistic in the fact that I just want to give everything to everybody for like completely unselfish terms, like helping people makes me feel good. Like there's a selfishness to all altruistic actions, right. You know, inherently and like, it feels good to help other people that, that makes me happy, you know, so I keep doing it. Um, and, and when I, when I later got into management, a lot of that was the same thing where I had a lot of good coaches who wanted to have a bigger impact and, and, and drive the, tra the trajectory of their, their career a little more and become management and leaders themselves. And, you know, so I started looking at ways to create mentorship within my staff and give people the opportunities to develop their own systems and products and, and whatever within that facility and, and become assistant managers and then, you know, go on to lead their own facilities and be managers in those. And, you know, but uh, the thing that I, I now realized through like my master's work uh, that I was doing was, is really looking at kind of that full range leadership model that I was much more more of like a servant leader than a transactional leader, right? And the the company I was working with actually in no way appreciated the way that I led my teams. I had great numbers. I was the the manager of the year nationally for them two years in a row, but they didn't like the way I went about it because I didn't use a lot of the policies and procedures that they had set up from an organiza organizational perspective. I was much more about creating opportunities than delegating tasks, Right. And, and that just felt more comfortable to me. You know, that's how I want to be led, you know, from a leadership perspective. So when I started looking at it that way, I, I ended up going into, you know, upper and regional management where I was, you know, managing managers, you know, from that standpoint and got really frustrated with the politics. And, and that kind of led me into, you know, eventually a couple stops later into this program where, you know, we work through the mentorship program and we do these things. And, uh, like for me, everybody can be a leader. Like leader has nothing to do with the position. Like it has nothing to do with the destination, right? It's just being able to influence those around you in a positive way. And, and for me, uh, like working with coaches, like that they're leaders to their clients, like just working with human beings, you're leaders to your family and friends. Right. And, uh, if we're just looking for positive influence and positive impact and being able to support people and elevate their abilities, um, like for me, that's just being a good human being, 
like that. That's, you know, so it's, I think leadership in general is, is kind of a, it's a vague word. It's a word that we use a lot because sometimes we don't know how to describe, you know, some of these other inherent things. Um, but, but for me, like leadership is just being, being that person who always has, you know, the important people in your life's back and, and will do things to help them promote their careers, either professional or their relationships, personal or their opportunities, or just make them feel good on a bad day. And, and that's, that's super important for me. And as somebody who like, I, like I didn't have a ton of friends growing up. I grew up in rural, rural area. And, you know, it's like, I always wanted more friends and I, I learned really early on that if I can make other people feel good about themselves, I'll always have friends. Right. And, and I think that's something that, you know, as an adult has just carried over into how I interact with people professionally as well. Uh, and, and that's something that like, I'm really proud to say, you know, we've worked with uh, almost 600 people in the last three years, you know, within our groups and, and individual products. And, um, we come out of those groups, you know, with, you know, not only like, you know, hopefully coaches who are improving their businesses and, and doing things like that, because that's obviously important because we want you to be able to stay in the industry and be successful. But we come out of them with a lot of friends and, and a lot of relationships. And that's something that's very important to me. And especially in like a world of social media where a lot of people use their platform more so to be kind of, um, like polarizing or, you know, create like a, maybe a negative emotional response and like to, to build a better community is something that, you know, I'm very interested in and very invested in, you know, from a, from a professional standpoint. And, and I, I think that's, I, I hope that's something at least that kind of shines through with a lot of the messaging that I put out there. But a lot of it is just that it started with me wanting to have more friends. And then it kind of started with me wanting to be surrounded by better people and then helping them become better people and, and better professionals and not better people. That is terrible, but better professionals, we'll call it that. Uh, and, and just giving them opportunities to really grow and succeed in, in their own way rather than like maybe the ways that I had dictated previous. Yeah, I mean, that's awesome. And I can speak to the fact that like once you've gone through the compound performance mentorship, you kind of gain, like if you're open to it, you gain like a new like internet family. Like, I mean, the amount of times I've chatted with guys from the mentorship still, and like I have every intention to keep chatting away with them. And it's just like, um, it uh, gives you more of like a base to build up from it gives you people to kind of like hold you accountable to your own goals. Like the things that you set out to do like a year ago, they're going to keep you after them. They're not going to kind of let you give up on yourself. And in, in these times, like everybody is going to have their lows and their highs and everybody needs a support group to kind of build them back up and, and get them back on track um, to keep us on time. I want to challenge you to challenge my audience to do a challenge of the day. So essentially you're just going to say your challenge of the day is, and honestly don't overthink it. Just think of something that you think that Sony could do that would, uh, that would enhance their experience, whether it be today or through their week or through their year. Yeah. I mean, it's probably going to be off topic, but, um, yeah, like compliment a stranger today, right? Like open a door for somebody, hold the door open, you know, just, tell somebody to have a great day, tell somebody their outfit looks great, not in a weird way, but, you know, just give somebody a compliment, you know, and do something nice for somebody that you don't know. Right. It's, it's kind of one of those things where, 
you know, they, they talk about that from an altruistic perspective again a lot where there's nothing that's going to boost your mood more than doing like an act of service or an act of kindness. And, and, you know, so when, when I look at challenges like that, like, it's like, yeah, like go, go do your 10,000 steps and eat some vegetables and, and, you know, whatever, you know, get a work workout in, but those are all things that, you know, only benefit us personally. Right. Yeah. You know, so uh, my challenge for your audience is to go do something kind for somebody else, preferably somebody that you don't know and let it impact both their day and yours in a positive way. Yeah, I mean, very on brand that this is the perfect challenge for a podcast like this. Um, And I can speak to the fact that like the last person I held the door open for actually just messaged me the other day and was very happy that I had done that. Not not to pump my own tires, but just the fact that it was kind of like an icebreaker. Like it's for both you and I are both introverts. Like when you talked about not talking to anybody at the gym, I was like, oh, that is me like through and through. Like I've, I've operated at my gym since February, 2019 and probably spoken with like 15% of the people that work out there and like not including my clients. I'd speak to all my clients. I'm pretty chatty with them, but like it, it is so important to do little things despite how much a person might have going on in their life. And despite how, how much other things might mean more like financially or with respect to the goals that we have on our mind, because those small little actions, they add up fast. Like you could totally turn somebody's day around. You could um, break the ice on a connection that might otherwise not even exist. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, with regards to the stuff that you're putting out these days, like uh, what are the things that you want to promote the most that uh, that you're offering? Like I know you have like the the group program, you have the mentorship, you have one-on-one stuff. Tell me a bit about that as we close out this episode. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a, there's a lot of things going on because we're we're closing up our Q1 mentorship now. You know, we're in week ten, so we'll be launching the Q2 group in mid April. Um, I told somebody March the other day and that was wrong. So in, in April, uh, somewhere around that kind of third week is projected and kind of be talking about that on social media and everything at the beginning of the month. And, um, and then from, uh, like the training groups and things like that, you know, Matt and I both have a specific group based on the things that we're doing right now, you know, and, and you know, so it's literally just following along our training program you know, based on our goals. And Matt's is uh, very hypertrophy based. He's in kind of his off season powerlifting mode where he, is looking to just build tissues and get stronger and get more jacked and, you know, um, and, and then mine is more kind of athletic development and, and kind of a hybrid running and, or, or any kind of aerobic activity, uh, hybrid conditioning and, and strength training, you know, programs. So we're, those are going super well. And we've got, uh, over 200 people total uh, on those right now. I think we just started Monday, which is nice. So I had day two this morning. Um, and then, um, from the individual stuff, you know, we do, individual coaching, you know, from a training perspective and pretty much work exclusively with coaches at, at this point. Um, again, Matt handles all of our power lifters and I, I kind of handle the majority of the other people. Um, and, and then from a mentorship perspective, um, I usually work with anywhere between, you know, five to 10 people one-on-one at any given time. And, you know, so that's something where registration is, is open. I don't necessarily advertise it. It's more so for people who, seek me out and are really looking for that um, because it is, you know, I, I, I do expect investment on both ends, you know, from that perspective. Um, so there, there's a lot, both group and individually that kind of always up and they're, you know, in our link trees and all that good stuff. Um, 
we just launched a podcast of our own and have released two episodes with the third one coming out Thursday. Um, so that's on this is compound performance radio and that's on iTunes and Spotify at this point. Um, yeah, that, that's about it. Everything else, you know, we're looking at some big things from a corporate wellness perspective later on in the year. Um, but nothing that's necessarily going to be like general audience facing. Yeah. We're just going to keep progressing what we do as much as we can. Yeah. And I mean, that's awesome. And I mean, I tend to give shout outs to the stuff that you guys do often, but I'll make sure to put the links in their description today. And I honestly hope that people go back and listen to the other episode because there's just so many like important discussions that we had back June 3rd, 2019 that will add context to this whole discussion and kind of um, contribute to, to everything. But with that being said, I'd like to thank you so much for coming back on the show, having your, your reappearance on the lifestyle chase. So yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. You know, I always, always appreciate these. I would always love sitting down and, you know, chatting with friends. Uh, yeah. So it's always, it makes for a good, you know, kind of first thing in the morning for me. Definitely. Mm-hmm.